the Holy Gospel according to John, the 20th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and my sisters and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The Gospel of the Lord. So no one likes to be referred to as clingy. It's not necessarily a word that conjures up positive connotations, right? A clingy friend or a clingy family member. So it might seem a little strange that I've titled this sermon The Clingy Apostle, right? To give this adjective, this descriptive word to the feast day of the, uh, of the saints that we commemorate today. But in our gospel reading, Mary is shown to literally be clinging to Jesus. So whatever we call it, I think one thing is clear from that story, that Mary's devotion to Jesus, to her teacher, her Rabuni, she calls him, runs deep. Mary, more than physically, clings to Jesus. Right? So maybe there can be a more expansive meaning of this, the clingy apostle. Now, when I was in high school, Mrs. Kearney was the teacher that everyone clung to. She taught English, and she was especially known for her engaging and entertaining British lit classes and drama classes. She did work in the theater, too, uh, and did productions every year. Right? And her passion for teaching was matched only by her, shall we say, flamboyant personality. She had a special liking for pink flamingos, right? Like those plastic things you put in the yard. But like her classroom was filled 
with pink flamingos, with pictures and stuffed animals and figurines and other memorabilia. You couldn't look in any single direction and not spot at least one. And many of these were gifts from her students, both current and former, and some of her fellow teachers as well. And it also wasn't an uncommon occurrence for alumni, after they had graduated, to come back to visit her, right? Now, Mrs. Kearney was also our student newspaper and yearbook advisor. And next to her drama kids, I think her journalist and editorial kids really occupied her inner circle. And so you can imagine my delight when during my senior year I got to be a part of the yearbook staff as none other than the academic section editor. <laughs> Super cool. But this was like my highlight of the day that year because it came, I think it came at the end of the day yearbook. Uh, and so it was just kind of a, a nice time to like, we did a lot of work, right? But it was just a nice time to like kind of socialize, be a part of that, that sort of inner circle. Now, just before my senior year, Mrs. Kearney was also diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And so, inevitably, the chemo and the treatments began to take their toll on her, right? And would keep her away from school for days or even weeks at a time. But the remarkable thing is that she never really seemed to let her guard down. She remained as vivacious and full of life and engaging and passionate about teaching as ever. She kept teaching throughout three years of chemo treatments. She died a couple of years after I graduated high school. And when her funeral was held, it was a remarkable thing to be there, surrounded by so many of her former and current students. I came back from Chicago, where I was uh, in college, even with a, another classmate of mine that had also graduated a year ahead of me at the same high school. And just being in that space was a reminder of the impact she had had, that this was a teacher that people clung to, right? And we all have these people that we cling to, whether they're teachers like Mrs. Kearney, I'm sure you can name your own Mr. or Mrs. fill in the blank, or parents or grandparents or other mentors or role models. We cling to these people and for good reason. And then we grieve them when they're no longer with us physically. And so I think this helps us to understand Mary's grief because Jesus was the teacher, the rabbi that she clung to. And so she grieves for the teacher who had such an impact on her, who changed her life. Now, we don't actually know all too much about Mary Magdalene. She only is mentioned 12 times between all four Gospels. And a lot of those mentions are repetitive. So, for instance, uh, in all four Gospels, she's named as an eyewitness to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, right? Such as the story we heard today. But her backstory is much more murky, right? So she's one of the few women who's named explicitly as a disciple of Jesus. Uh, and that's no small thing for a woman to actually be named in the Bible. Uh, and she gets that distinction. And the only other concrete detail about her life is a passing reference in Luke's gospel 
that this, uh, that this Mary Magdalene, this follower of Jesus, was the one from whom Jesus cast out seven demons. Just kind of like an aside. There's a story there, I'm sure, but we don't get it. So we're left to wonder about what that was like. Now later, interpreters would also identify Mary, uh, perhaps misleading, uh, with two other women, right? So in Luke, uh, the sinful woman who comes to Jesus, code word for probably someone who is sexually promiscuous, sinful. Uh, and then another woman in John's gospel, the woman caught in adultery. But neither of those women are named, and so there's no reason to believe that that's actually true. But what is clear is that Mary Magdalene was an important figure, right? So the Gnostic gospels those that didn't quite make the cut into the New Testament, there's a lot of them. You can look them up. They're very entertaining. Um, there's one about Jesus making clay pigeons and then like throwing them at his friends. Anyway, super fun. Uh, but these Gnostic Gospels ascribe great importance to Mary Magdalene as a disciple. So in one of these Gnostic Gospels, Mary is Jesus' primary conversation partner, the one who keeps the plot moving forward. And in two others, Mary is named as the beloved disciple, who we usually assume is John from John's gospel. But in this case, it's Mary. And so for all we can know or not know about Mary, I think we can at least surmise that Mary was there for some of the most pivotal moments in Jesus' life. She was a part of his inner circle. She probably knew him just as well as she knew herself. And... Secondly, Jesus was there for at least one of the most important moments in her life, right? That passing reference to the seven demons thing. Which brings us to the garden. Mary is grieving and she is weeping. A detail that's mentioned four times in the span of five verses. Mary is weeping. It's even asked to her in two questions. Why are you weeping? Clearly, she is physically grieving, right? And so her grief is real, and it is human. And anyone who's experienced the death of a loved one knows Mary's grief. And then when she arrives early that morning at the tomb only to discover that the one she's grieving for, that his body is gone, imagine that, right? She grieves all over again. And then even when Jesus appears, it's peculiar. She can't recognize him, this person that she once clung to, right? That she probably knew better than herself. She doesn't know who he is. I think grief can do strange things like that to a person. But she doesn't recognize him until that moment, one of my favorite moments in the Gospels, when he says her name Mary. And then all at once she knows, she recognizes him, she cries out, my teacher, and she clings to him. And no wonder she clings to him because she's already had to say goodbye once before, right? And so she clings to him as if to say, no, not again. I can't say goodbye again. Mary clings to Jesus. She clings to the teacher who healed her, the teacher 
who drove out seven demons from her, who knew her struggles, who saw her as a person, and who invited her into the life of being a disciple. Now, where we might expect a happy reunion, we instead get these jarring words, almost. Do not hold on to me. It seems a little harsh, right? As if to say, don't be clingy. But here, I think, is one more lesson from Mary's teacher. Go to my brothers and my sisters and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And that seems a little vague and a little nebulous, and we know that it's connected to a story that comes later. But notice the sense of relationality, the sense of relationship here. My father and your father, my God and your God. This is what John's gospel has been trying to tell us from the very beginning, that Jesus is the word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us, that Jesus is the very God who became human in order to show us what it means to be in relationship with God and God with us. That promise of a deep, abiding relationship with God didn't die on the cross, but is alive at the tomb the relationship of the Father with Jesus and Jesus with the Father and the Father with us and us with each other. The relationship that Jesus shares with his Father, with his God, is meant for all of us. That's John's Easter good news. That's John's Easter proclamation that God is with us still and not even death can get in the way of that. That is a promise worth clinging to. And Mary Magdalene gets it. She doesn't hesitate for a moment to go run and tell the other disciples, I have seen the Lord. God is with us still. Now, in bodily form, Jesus couldn't stick around forever, but he doesn't leave us alone, just as he never left Mary alone. Do not hold on to me. As if to say, don't cling to me, to my body, but cling to the promise of relationship and the promise of the gift of community in me. You sense the difference? It's so much more profound, I think. Now, the first Sunday that I served as as an assisting minister at my home congregation in Chicago, be like the role of a worship assistant here, we interred Elvina's ashes in our memorial garden. And I can remember holding her urn, this simple black plastic box with a little white pall over top of it as we processed out at the end of the service into the garden. And this was a woman that I was holding who I had never met. She died before I joined the church. But this was a woman, it was clear from stories that this congregation clung to. And so in this liturgy of interring her ashes in the ground, sort of like a sacred letting go, it's not that we clung to her any less, but in new ways. 
right? Through the passion for service and serving our neighbors that she instilled in our congregation, through the social justice endowment fund that was set up in her name, right? Clinging to this figure that had had such an impact on us in new ways, in ways that lived on beyond her life with us. And so this jarring phrase, do not hold on to me, I think is instead an invitation that Jesus invites us not to cling so much to the past, to cling to the way things were, the way things have always been, as wonderful as some of those memories can be, right? But Jesus invites us instead to cling to the hope of the future, to the promise of loving and living in relationship with God and with one another, a future that is breaking in to the present even now in this assembly. That is a promise. That is good news worth clinging to. This day, this feast day, Mary Magdalene is the apostle who teaches us to cling to the things that matter, the things that abide, the things that last. She shows us what it means to be in so deep a relationship with her teacher and with her God that she can't help but burst with joy. I have seen the Lord, and we see the Lord as well, right? Every time this community gathers together in worship, every time we serve our neighbors, every time we pursue God's justice for the people who cry out, those who are marginalized, those who are cast aside, we see the Lord in our relationship with each other. We see the Lord in this meal of bread and wine that sustains us and that keeps us going in our life's pilgrimage. Cling to these things. With Mary Magdalene and all the witnesses of the resurrection, cling to God's promise to be with us always and to keep showing up. Thanks be to God.